How are we doing? Excellent. So as Matt said, name is Dave Richardson, uh, one of the teaching elders here at Rio. Uh, excited to be bringing the word. Uh, some of you might know this, and, and Matt mentioned uh, Alpha and spoke to that uh, quite a bit, but um, I am privileged of being one of the uh, MCs of Alpha every uh, Thursday night. And as the MC, I basically get to host the evening. Uh, and what that means, I just, I, I welcome everyone, I introduce uh, the video and just make sure the whole night keeps moving. Uh, one of the main objectives uh, for the MC is to get the crowd laughing. And uh, I, I'm expected uh, to actually tell a, a scripted alpha joke uh, every week to transition to the video. And, and some jokes are better than others, but man, it's a challenge. You got to get the crowd, you know, laughing and, and, and get them kind of in, in focus. And, and, you know, it's sometimes not the best joke. So anyways, you're sitting here saying, that sounds great, kind of lame. Uh, but truthfully, it really does set the mood uh, for an enjoyable night. And, and it's a pretty big deal for me. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do, and here's why. There was a time in my life, sometime kind of first, second year of college, where I wanted to pursue a stand-up comedy career. Yeah, I know. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, so I looked into it, though. I uh, tried to write my own jokes. What I found is this, pretty quickly, is that it's actually really hard to write your own material. It's like nearly impossible, right? So I found out uh, as I was pursuing that, um, that I wasn't actually naturally very funny, but, but I was pretty good at telling other people's jokes. And, and so the problem with that is it's actually hard to get a stand-up gig uh, by telling other people's jokes. Well, insert alpha, okay? And every Thursday night, I get to deliver some of my best material of other people's jokes, Love it. And I'm doing, it's, it's, it's great. You got, listen, check it out. Come, come Thursday nights. Uh, I say all that because I actually want to, uh, move into our uh, sermon this morning in typical alpha fashion, just to get you, to, to get a taste of what alpha is. Uh, and I want to set the stage with a bad joke. Or, I mean, it could be good. Let's see. All right. Here's a, a priest walks into, uh, his, his congregation and he's about to give a homily on Jesus's command to love your enemies. And the priest approaches the congregation and says, now, I'll bet that many of us feel that we have enemies in our lives. And then he asks the congregation, so, so raise your hand if you have enemies. And uh, quite a few people in the congregation raise their hands. And he's kind of nodding and approving. And he says, now, now raise your hands if you have only a few enemies. And about half the people put their hands down. About half the people kept their hands up. And he agrees again, kind of nodding. He says, now, now raise your hand if you have one or two enemies in your life. And even fewer people raise their hand. And so the priest in, in agreement says, yes, see, most of us feel like we have enemies. Now, I want, I want you to raise your hand if you have no enemies at all. And the priest looks around, and he's looking back in the room, and finally sees someone in the back, a very elderly man, raise his hand. And he stands up, and he says, I, I have no enemies. It's my elderly man voice. I could do better. Um, I have no enemies. And delighted, the, the priest invites the man up to the front of the church. He says, man, what a blessing. How, I mean, how old are you? And he's like, I, I'm 98 years old. I have no enemies. And the priest says, what a wonderful example of love. Tell us, please, how is it that you have no enemies? And he's like, well, all them scoundrels have died. Yeah, it's not bad. That's not bad. Right? Listen, come on out Thursday night. Like, you'll get more of that. Invite a friend. It's the real deal. All right. 
Yeah, it's for, thank you for laughing, by the way. That's key. That's key in telling jokes. All right. Listen, no matter how hard we try, we go through life and we, we feel, we know that we, we have enemies. People that don't like us, people that we don't like, uh, they've offended us, we've offended them, people at work, people at church, people in our own families, right? And we get, we get insulted or we feel taken advantage of and we very naturally feel the need to defend our rights and turn into self-vigilantes. And we, we very naturally begin to harbor hatred and, and an unresolved root of bitterness in our hearts that, that can fester and fester out of control. I mean, it's a sad reality, sad part of our human experience. We live in a fight-back, get-even kind of kingdom filled with grudges and, and plots of retaliation and revenge. This morning, as, as Matt uh, communicated earlier, as we continue our series of the upside-down kingdom, looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and, and as we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen Jesus repeatedly challenge our kingdom as, as he lays out the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven, right? laying out an ethic, a way of life, a kingdom pursuit that's completely countercultural. And, and what we're finding is that it stretches us to our very core. And see, the hope is real that as we work through the Sermon on the Mount, that we might go up with Jesus on that mountain and let him challenge our kingdoms. So this morning, will you let him challenge your kingdom? Will you let him challenge your kingdom this morning? Because as we do, as we, as we climb up that mountain and get a view of the life that Jesus is calling us to and equipping us for, we get a glimpse of something beautiful. And, and not, not necessarily something that's perfect and a life without issues, but a life that has purpose and meaning and significance and grace. Now, we have a hard time wrapping our heads and our hearts around Jesus' command from our passage this morning. Right? I mean, turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. I, I think most of the world, and I, if we're being honest with ourselves, think this teaching sounds foolish. I mean, it radically offends our own kingdoms. So what are we going to do with it? What do we do with this teaching? What I'd like to do uh, this morning to help us navigate through this text is to answer three questions. I want to answer why we're offended with this teaching why we're offended with this teaching. Secondly, I want to see what is Jesus getting at? What is Jesus after with this teaching? And then thirdly, how are we to respond to this teaching? All right, so why are we offended? What is Jesus after? And how are we to respond? All right, so let's dive in. Why is this teaching so offensive? Why do we squirm around when when Jesus tells us, don't resist the one who's evil, and instead, if they're trying to take your tunic, not only give them the tunic, but also the cloak off of your back? This offends our sensibilities. And here's the reason. Because we are all born with an innate sense of justice. Right? We have an innate sense of what is right and what is wrong and, and as misguided as it may be at times. We have this instinct to protect and defend what we believe to be our rights. And so what that means is that we very naturally, therefore, in, we're, we're inclined to uh, retaliation. We're re- uh, inclined to revenge when those rights have been violated. 
right? We don't have to be trained on it. We very naturally retaliate against those who offend our sense of justice, right? We don't have to be taught it. You just do it. And anyone who has been around kids at all understands what I'm talking about. Because here's, here's what my house looks like about 95% of every single day. <laughs> uh, here's what it sounds like. Uh, Chris and I in the kitchen, kind of getting ready for the day, brewing some coffee. I, I do like this hand mill grinder. Um, and so I'm grinding the coffee. All of a sudden, from the back, I mean, they're not, the kid's not even up for 10 minutes. Back of the room, all of a sudden you hear, that's mine. Daddy took my toy. Well, I had it first. It's my turn. Mom, he won't share. And then at that point, it actually usually gets violent. And you hear, you hear a slap, then a scratch, and then crying. Dad, she scratched me. Well, he hit me first. No, anyone else? I mean, it's, it is complete madness. No one has to teach children to respond like this. It's innate for all human beings. It's part of our nature. And instead of it disappearing in our adulthood, it actually only intensifies. Maybe it sounds a little different at times. Maybe it feels a little bit different at times, but it only intensifies. We live in a talk back, fight back, get even kingdom. It's filled with deep grudges, plots for retaliation and revenge. And while the example with the kids, it's kind of silly. What, what Jesus says here is so offensive because the reality is that in our life, we have truly been wronged, right? We have unjustifiably been hurt. We've been recipients of injustice. Someone has, has robbed you of some happiness. Someone has robbed you of your innocence. Someone has robbed you of your reputation or an opportunity or some aspect of your freedom. And no price tag can be put on that. And when that happens, we have this enduring sense that, that the evildoer must be dealt with, that there's a debt that must be paid. And so in our kingdom of, of self-preservation, we seek ways to make sure the perpetrator suffers for what they've done. And it looks like a lot of different things. We can do it in a lot of different ways. Uh, my go-to is we withhold relationship. That's my, that's my revenge retaliation uh, plot almost always. Or, or we, we, we do it by actively initiating or, or passively wishing for some kind of pain in their lives to equal to what you encountered and experienced with them. Or we rage and attack them and say things to hurt them. Or we go around and talk about them behind their backs to trash or tarnish their reputation. And see, and when the, when the offender suffers, you feel a certain level of satisfaction. Right? They, they're, they're finally getting what they had coming. Finally paying for what they did. But see, here's the problem. While there, there might be momentary satisfaction with that, what happens is you become harder. You become colder. You become more self-absorbed, more self-pitying, and you foster bitterness and prejudice in your heart. Because see, if the offender was, was the opposite sex or the offender was an op- another race, you become permanently cynical and prejudiced against whole classes of people as a result. 
And then as you respond in retaliation and hatred, you uh, or the, the offender uh, often feels that they have the right to respond to your payback the same way. And so these cycles of reaction and retaliation and bitterness and grudges grows and grows and goes on for years. Listen to how author uh, Tim Keller in The Reason for God speaks to revenge. He says this, evil has been done to you, yes. But when you try to get payment through revenge, the evil does not disappear. Instead, it spreads And it spreads most tragically of all into you and your own character. It infects your heart and it has a power over you. And Jesus wants nothing more than to set you free from that. Jesus wants something so much more beautiful for your life. He's calling us to something so much beautiful. So, so then what, what, what is Jesus actually getting at then with this teaching? What, I mean, what is he after? Well, I want to jump into our text and, and just read through it and, and, and try to get some insight into what Jesus is after here. Uh, let's look at the text. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's justice, right? I mean, that makes sense to us, right? If you pluck out an eye, you lose an eye. If you knock out a tooth, you lose a tooth. I mean, it makes sense for us. Verse 39. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, and this is picturing someone open-handed slapping you in the face, right? It's meant to be uh, an insult. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would say, uh, sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles and give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So so what is Jesus getting at here? Uh, And and I think what's an important thing to understand is actually this command Jesus makes is don't resist the one who is evil. And the Greek word for resist, I think, gives us some insight to what Jesus is talking about. It's important. Uh, the, the word antistheme, antistheme uh, it means this. It means to take a complete stand against, to forcefully declare one's personal conviction. Forcefully declare one's personal conviction. And, and here's why that's an important distinction, is Jesus' focus here is on individual and personal vengeance. Right? He's, he's not prohibiting the use of force by governments and police or soldiers when combating evil. Uh, and he's not forbidding self-defense or, or saying that we shouldn't flee from evil. We know that Jesus in other parts of Scripture speaks specifically to those things, and so we know that this is not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is referring to individual and personal vengeance. In other words, punishment inflicted or retribution exacted for an injury or a wrong. All right, so that's what Jesus, that's, that's the, the vein in which Jesus is, is sharing and teaching here. And I want to keep on reading because I think we'll get more insight as we continue. Uh, verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which, by the way, it, it says nowhere in the Bible to hate your enemies. In fact, Jesus confirms this in his parable of the Good Samaritan when the Jewish lawyer asked, well, who is my neighbor? And and Jesus uh, explains it by saying, no, listen, you have to love your neighbor and it also means love your enemies. So we see that in, in Jesus. And so we know that what we're talking about here is this very expansive love indiscriminately 
to those who you love, those who uh, may hate you. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God shows grace. This is the common grace of God. He shows grace and care for all his creatures indiscriminately. Therefore, as Christ's followers, we are to imitate God and extend grace and love to both neighbor and enemy. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Listen, there's nothing easy or natural about turning the other cheek and loving your enemies. What is natural and easy is to, to, to love those who love us and to hate those who hate us, right? I mean, it's, it's very natural to hear like, oh, this person hates me. Oh yeah, I hate them too. Like, I mean, you don't even need a reason for it. It's just finding out that someone hates you. You're like, yeah, I hate them. I mean, that's natural, right? Kids do it. Adults do it. We all do it. It's natural. It's what's inside of us. And see, that's just it. See, Jesus' concern here and, and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what he's after is what's inside. See, he's after the motivations of our heart. As Pastor Tom shared last week, Jesus wants your heart. And see, when we harbor uh, in our hearts these roots of bitterness that grow into deep grudges, that moves into hatred, that carries out into retaliation, both passively and, and actively, Jesus is saying, I want you to be free from that. Because listen, when our hearts are wounded and burdened with bitterness and hatred, you are not living in the freedom of Christ. The the freedom of Christ's love has won for you when he defeated death and sin on the cross on your behalf. And the freedom he secured by rising from the grave, defeating death and offering forgiveness of your sin, breaking the power of sin over you and giving you new life. See, that's what Jesus is after here. He's calling us to be. He's calling us to this motivation of love in whatever we do. See, the motivation of our hearts must not be fueled by self-vindication or hatred, but rather actions motivated by love. Evidence, right, in in a readiness to serve. Evidence by doing good even to those who deserve the opposite. Love is the universal law, is what Jesus is declaring. And listen, I think it's really important to, to say, like, that is not a call for Christians to simply be doormats and just get run over. And I think some of us really need to hear this because being motivated with love means that sometimes the most loving thing that I could do for someone who slaps my cheek is not to give them my other cheek, right? Sometimes the most loving thing I could do is to not allow the person trying to take my tunic to also take my cloak, right? But to make a stand. The most loving thing I could do is to to not refuse to walk that mile with you. Right? You guys tracking? You're tracking with that? Because I do think, though, that we need to be careful with that because I almost always feel like the most loving thing to do is, is to not give my other cheek, is to not give my tunic, is to not walk that mile. I almost always feel that the most loving thing to do is to stand my ground and not allow myself to be the recipient of injustice. 
But what Jesus is saying here is do the hard work of evaluating your motives and, and bringing those hurts and, and, and those, those wounds and the people who've offended you, bringing those to the feet of Jesus in prayer. See, Jesus is after our motives and the lenses with which we are to see the world around us as believers is love. So how do we do this? Right? I mean, how, how do we actually live that out practically? I think the first thing that we have to understand, the first thing is to know whose we are. Right, if we're going to, if we're going to see this play out in our lives as believers, we need to understand is that we are, we are called to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies, not to earn a place with God, but rather to demonstrate whose we are, namely children of God. Look back at Matthew chapter uh, 5 verse 44. It says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Listen, Jesus here does not mean that loving our enemies earns us the right to be a child of God. That's not what he's saying. Listen, you can't earn the status of a child. You you can be born into it. You can be adopted into it, but you can't work your way into it. Jesus means that our, our loving our enemies shows that God has already become our father. And that the only reason we're able to love our enemies is because he loves us and has met our needs first. I love how uh, Pastor John Piper says it, commenting on verse 44. He says this, we do not earn or merit our sonship or entrance into heaven. We receive it as a free gift and gracious promise. And then we live in a way that shows where our treasure is and who our father is. Loving our enemies is a proof that the power of the kingdom has entered your life, not a payment for the power of the kingdom to enter your life. All right, so so we need to understand if we're ever going to be able to practically live out this turning the other cheek and loving our enemies is to know whose we are. We are the forgiven, redeemed, adopted children of God Most High. And secondly, Here's how we do this and, and how, how we're able to respond in turning the other cheek and, and loving and praying for our enemies is this. It's to forgive, to learn what it means to forgive. See, we really have two options when there's an offense or an injustice or a hurt that wounds your heart. Two options. The first option is we can harbor bitterness and, and respond in retaliation and hatred. And and continue the vicious cycle of evil and and then try to get them to pay the price, pay the debt that they owe you. Or the second option is we forgive. Because listen, the way the person or persons who, who has abused you or has wounded you, the only way they really win and destroy your life is if you can't forgive them. You've probably heard it said that that bitterness is the poison you drink hoping the other person drops dead. It will completely destroy you if you can't forgive. And listen, forgiveness is one of those words that we throw around a lot in in, in church, and and rightfully so. It's the the root of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the gospel that frees us, the fact that we're forgiven sinners that are redeemed and made right and holy in the sight of God. 
But I think as far as relationally, human to human, we sometimes get it uh, slightly skewed. We don't really understand what forgiveness actually is. But we have to understand here, and here's the point, is that forgiveness is not primarily a feeling. It's an action, right? Forgiveness is granted first before it's felt. And oftentimes it's granted a long time before it's ever felt, right? It's easy for us to think of forgiveness first as this feeling that we have toward our perpetrator. But it's not primarily a feeling. It's a set of actions and disciplines. Forgiveness is a promise not to exact the price of the sin from the person who wronged you. It means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you, refusing to make them pay for what they did. That's what forgiveness is. And listen, forgiveness is always costly, right? Because to refrain from retaliating and lashing out at someone when everything inside of you feels like you need to, it's agony, right? It's painful. It's, it literally makes you suffer. And see, you're not only suffering the original loss of that happiness or that, that innocence or the reputation or the opportunity or the freedom, but now you forgo the solace of inflicting the same on them. And see, what's happening there in true forgiveness is that you are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. That's the nature, the true nature of forgiveness. I love how uh, author Dan Hamilton in his little book titled Forgiveness uh, gives a personal example of how this uh, played out in his own life. And, And here's what he wrote. Once upon a time, I was engaged to a young woman who changed her mind. I forgave her, but only in small sums over a year. They were made whenever I spoke to her and refrained from rehashing the past. Whenever I renounced jealousy and self-pity, whenever I saw her with another man, whenever I praised her to others, when I wanted to slice away at a reputation, those were the payments, but she never saw them. And her own payments were unseen by me, but I do know that she forgave me. Forgiveness is more than a matter of refusing to hate someone. It's also a matter of choosing to demonstrate love and acceptance to the offender. Pain is the consequence of sin. There's no easy way to deal with it. Wood, nails, and pain are the currency of forgiveness, the love that heals. So forgiveness is to free the person from the penalty of a sin by paying the price yourself. It's the pattern of the gospel. It's the pattern of Christ's forgiveness for you. And it's, it's the pattern of forgiveness that allows us to respond in forgiveness and not vengeance. To, it causes us to respond not, not in hate, but in love. And it's rooted in the forgiveness that's offered to us in Christ through the gospel. Listen, Rio, there is so much freedom found in that forgiveness. Indeed, it's, it's, it's the love that frees us, love that heals us to live the life that we are freed in Christ with. Because he desires us to live life abundantly. 
to, to thrive fully. And when we're harboring these roots of bitterness and, and hatred, we will not be operating in the freedom that we have in Christ. So with that, let the love be the motivation of our hearts, the lenses with which we see the world as believers. And as we do that, as we love in that way and forgive in that way, we will be a light that shines so brightly, so countercultural to, to the talk back, fight back, get even kingdom of this world. So let that be the, the, the mount that we stand on. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're thankful uh, for the love that you have for us, the, the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. I got this, this reality that forgiveness is, is choosing not to make the offender pay the price of their sin, but absorbing it ourselves. Lord, this, this forgiveness that you call us to was, was lived out in your life and death on the cross on our behalf. And so, Lord, I pray that we can be people that are motivated with love in everything we do, that we truly have lenses that see the world through the universal law of love. Lord, I pray if anyone's here that does not know you, that has not experienced this forgiveness that is found in you, that today might be the day of their salvation, that you might open their eyes to see, open their ears to hear, and soften their hearts to receive the beauty and the freedom and the life that is found in forgiveness in you. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. All in Jesus' name, amen.